The reading is taken from Romans chapter 9, verse 30, to Romans 10, verse 21, on page 1136. What then shall we say? That the Gentiles, who did not pursue righteousness, have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But Israel, who pursued a law of righteousness, has not attained it. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down. Or, Who will descend into the deep? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the, on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from the hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Again I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. 
I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. We're going to pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you are indeed the Lion of Judah, the Lamb who was slain. You are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords. And so we pray this evening you'd persuade us ever more of that fact. That King Jesus, you would rule us as you speak your word to us. We would submit to it. We would recognize you as the great and loving King that you are. So it would be our delight and privilege and honor to submit to your word and serve you, we pray. Amen. Well, please do turn back to uh, Romans chapter, uh, well, end of chapter 9, basically chapter 10. Because that's what we're looking at tonight. Uh, at the back of your uh, programs, we have no help to you whatsoever, but there will be an outline uh, appearing on the screen, which uh, hopefully will uh, help keep us on track. And let me just flag it up from the, from the very beginning, because I don't know if you were thinking this, as uh, Arthur read for us. <laughs> so what? What's all this about? So what? Here, then, uh, we're talking, the, the Apostle Paul is talking about the nation of Israel. And he's addressing the question, why, why weren't more Israelites in the first, cent- first century, why weren't more of them Christians? I mean, they'd heard the gospel message. Why had so many resisted? And uh, we could easily sit here this evening and think, <laughs> okay, so what? What does that mean for me? Well, it's a pretty important question uh, for a number of reasons. But let me give you just the, the two answers that Paul is really giving to this question. Why have so few of those Israelites in the first century, the Jewish nation, why have so few of them relatively become Christians? He gives two answers, really. The first one we looked at last week in chapter 9. If you were here, you'll remember the answer he gives there is, God never planned for all of them to be saved. He chooses to have mercy on some people and not others. So there's the first answer, why not all of them, or not the overwhelming majority became Christians. God never intended that. Before the creation of the world, he had chosen a fixed number of individuals who would come to recognize him. And that wasn't all. Well, that's important for us because it shows that his promises haven't been broken, which is the accusation of this section, chapters 9 to 11 in the book of Romans. Has God broken his promises? How can we trust him? I mean, we've heard all these wonderful promises, particularly at the end of chapter 8, how God will always keep us if we're Christians. But if he's broken his promises to them, to Israel, how can we trust him? So chapter 9, it gives us an important answer. No, we can keep on believing, keep on trusting the living God because he's just doing what he promised he would. Have mercy on some, but not all. He'd withhold mercy from others. That's the first answer. The second answer comes tonight in chapter 10. Why weren't there more believers amongst the Israelites? And the answer tonight is, well, if you want a summary, chapter 10, verse 21. All day long I have held out my hands, says the Lord God to a disobedient and obstinate people. Why didn't more of them become Christians? They were stubborn and obstinate. They were disobedient. It was their fault. They didn't want to. 
They couldn't bring themselves to admit that they needed Jesus Christ. And again, that's an important uh, answer for us. Because there's a sense in which Israel provides a template for today. They're a group of people who uh, heard the message of Jesus Christ and resisted. So that's pretty important for us to hear. Uh, So if you hear perhaps not as a Christian, you can learn from them. might be intriguing for you. The Bible is telling you why you're not yet a Christian. (laughs) Um, There's something to learn there. But for those of us who are Christians as well, I mean, it's pretty important. As um, Jude and and, uh, Ed were talking up the front here, not everyone who they invite will come. And not everyone who hears the message of Jesus Christ will become a Christian. Why? And we, need to, we just need to know that. So that we as Christians don't get discouraged. We don't expect that everyone will always respond happily. And uh, everyone we meet will become Christians. Unlikely that that will ever happen. So we need this answer as well to uh, get our expectations correct. So we could phrase the question more simply like this. I mean, Paul is asking, why didn't more of the Israelites become Christians? We could ask it just like this, I guess. Why in the 21st century, why do so few become Christians relatively in our culture? Well, two answers again. The first in chapter 9. God hasn't chosen to have mercy on everyone. And then tonight in chapter 10, it's because people are stubborn, obstinate, (laughs) They don't want to obey God. Those are the answers which were given. Now, we've got to hold both of them together. We must, must, must hold both of them together, or we'll go, we'll go way out of kilter. God has chosen some, but people also are responsible for how they, um, how they respond to the message of Jesus Christ. Okay, let's, uh, let's jump on him. Um, The main section, really, Paul is making one point. In chapter 9, verse 30, to chapter 10, verse 8, look, there's a difference here between self-righteousness and Christ's righteousness. Why do so few, relatively, become Christians? Because of, they want to trust, they want to rely on themselves. Self-righteousness, rather than relying upon Christ's righteousness. You can phrase it in a slightly differently. Uh, people today, they think that their works, their lifestyles, the way they live will earn them a relationship with God. Rather than recognizing you can never do that, God has to give it to you. You can't achieve righteousness. That is a relationship with God. You have to receive it. It has to be given to you. That's the point of, of these sections. Of this section. Now, I guess that's a very understandable attitude. Um, in our culture today, you just don't get given a whole amount. We're in a culture which is um, driven, competitive. You have to achieve. So we don't like the idea of we can't achieve, we have to receive. It's sort of completely countercultural. You could, uh, if in your workplace, your uh, boss came in tomorrow, uh, whatever your field of work, and uh, said to you, look, I've got to be honest, um, you're never going to get a promotion. You're never going to do very well here. You're just not good enough. You'll, you'll just not be able to manage. Yeah, but what about if I, what about if I work really hard? No, no. You can put in 15 hour, 15 hour days, seven days a week. You'll, you'll never do it. But what about if I go away and do more study and get... No, 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 no. There is nothing you can do. Nothing you can do that will make you any good at your job. 
We don't like that, do we? It's a sort of, we don't like that. Because we want, to, we want to be good. We want to achieve. So it's completely countercultural what Paul is saying here, the biblical message, that we can't achieve righteousness, a relationship with God. We have to be given it. We have to receive it. It takes so long for this to filter in. He effectively says it three times, uh, three times in this section. Uh, so first, um, uh, chapter 9, verse 30, uh, down to the end of the chapter. Let me read. Uh, what shall we say then? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But Israel, that's who he's really concerned about, Israel, who pursued a law of righteousness has not attained it. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if by works. So here's the point. Um, Israel then, in the Old Testament, God saved his people. There they are. They're enslaved in Egypt. There's nothing they can do. God saves them. He rescues them, frees them, and then says, here's my law. Here's the way you should live as a response to my salvation. But they got it wrong. They thought, no, 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 we don't, we don't just want to respond to the law. We think the law will save us. Completely wrong. Imagine you, uh, you stumbled across a club, a sports club, a very exclusive sports club in Mayfair. And uh, you, you knock on the door and you just get laughed at. You, I mean, you need five personal references from members to join this club. You turn up with the checkbook and they laugh at you. You have to turn up, turn up with bullion, Russian bullion, to get into this uh, Mayfair club. There's just no way you can get in. But then you, you see just inside, you see uh, sort of behind the reception, you're not allowed in, there's some very burly men on the door, but you can see just behind there are some rules about how you behave in the swimming pool. No running, no ducking, no bombing. People of a certain generation will remember. Do you remember those posters? <laughs> yeah, you probably had to be English, but maybe not. Maybe they went around the world. These posters that were designed in the 1960s all had all these pictures, no petting. I mean, when you're eight years old, what do you think petting is? You know, what? No petting, no bombing, no running, um, no smoking. Which, again, as a child, I always thought, well, where do people bring in their fags? I mean, what, where do they... Anyway. Anyway, you see, behind the, you see behind reception, you see all these rules, and you say to the burly bouncer, hey, um, I, I haven't smoked for years. Can I come in? No. Um, I haven't bombed out here in the road. I, I didn't run here. I haven't, I haven't petted anyone for weeks. So you're still not coming in. Those rules on the wall, they're for the members. If you belong to this club, we ask you to live that way. But they don't get you in. Now, you have to be invited in. You have to get five recommendations, turn up with your gold to come in. Do you see the mistake that Israel made in the Old Testament there, verse 32? They... They had the law and they thought, ah, excellent. We can now achieve righteousness. If we keep these rules, we can achieve it. No, no, no. You have to receive it. It's the only way. Now, this is, this is the mistake that every world religion globally makes. It doesn't matter if it's the 613 rules of Judaism, the five pillars of Islam, the enlightened spiritual path of Buddhism, the um, sort of average middle-class Englishman who says... 
look, I'm going to draw a line here, and everyone on that side, God shouldn't accept, and everyone on that side, they should accept, and I'm this side. It doesn't matter what sort of religion it is. Everyone has a in or out. I can achieve my salvation. I can achieve righteousness. So every religious way of thinking has a big arrow pointing up. But the gospel is an arrow pointing down. We can't reach up to God. He has to come down for us. You see, it's completely, completely different direction. He says, later looking like a hieroglyphic, but um, you get the point. You don't reach up. That's religion. The gospel reaches down. You receive it. Uh, Same point then made, uh, same point made uh, in verses 1 to 4. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. I can testify about them that they're zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge, since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own. We can sometimes be impressed with those who have a zealous faith. You, you may have your, your colleagues at work or someone you know who is, who is a, a pretty orthodox Jew or, or, or a, a, a lovely sort of practicing Muslim. We could be quite impressed with their commitment. But zeal for the wrong thing is useless. It's dangerous. I mean, here, here they are, Israel. They're zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Of course, you can have a dangerous zeal. You know, the eight men on trial for attempting to blow up the seven planes with their uh, liquid. I mean, that's, that's zeal, but everyone thinks that's appalling. But even if you're sort of a very mild-mannered, lovely, religious person, your zeal is dangerous for you. It's without knowledge. Zeal without knowledge is it's dangerous. It's not to be commended. Now, people need to know. Israel needs to know. People around us need to know. Verse 3, you cannot establish your own righteousness. You have to submit to God's. You have to accept Jesus Christ. He's the only way. Trusting in his death is the only way to have a relationship with God. And so, verse 4, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness, literally. He's the end of the law for righteousness for anyone who believes. Once you become a Christian, once you're a believer, you don't try and use the law to make you righteous. The law for righteousness, that's ended. You don't think of it that way. You don't try religious thinking to climb the ladder, to reach up to God. That's gone. Everyone who believes knows that. You know that it's a, yeah, it's good. It's a way to respond. But you accept righteousness as a gift. You can't achieve it. You have to receive it by faith. So he says it then, 30 to 33, verses 1 to 4. And he says it for the third time in verses 5 to 8, just to make sure we've all got it. Verses 5 to 8, he's still comparing these two ways, self-righteousness versus Christ's righteousness. So verse 5, Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. Presumably here Paul is quoting how some of his opponents were abusing the Old Testament. You just got to do these things and then you'll be okay. No, 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 he says, verses 6 to 8. The righteousness that is by faith says... Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. See here Paul is quoting Moses in Deuteronomy 30, 
And Moses said to the people there, look, this commandment I'm giving you today, it's not too hard. It doesn't require sort of moral heroism. You know, the elite will be able to do it. It's not hard. It's just by faith. And now Christ is the fulfillment of that. So again, it's not that mankind can rise up to heaven and bring God down. God sent his son, Jesus Christ. He sent him to us. It's not that anyone can, when Jesus was dead, reach down into the pit and raise him up again. No human can bring resurrection from life. God had to do it. It's a gift of his. You can't achieve righteousness. You have to receive it as a gift. It's fundamental contrast. That was the problem with Israel. That was their problem. That's why so few of them became Christians. They wanted to do it on their own. They wanted to achieve, not receive. And that's still the case today. That is still the case today. Why? I mean, there's lots going on, but eventually why most people, push comes to shove, don't want to become Christians. They don't want to just receive something. They want to earn it for themselves. Now, a number of implications uh, flow out of this, and Paul goes on to uh, spell them out. Um, four implications, and we'll work through them. The first, then, verses 9 to 13, you need to call upon Jesus as Lord. For anyone here who wants to become a Christian, here's what you must do. You must call upon Jesus as Lord. We read verse 9 to 13. The word of faith we're proclaiming, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you, are, that you confess and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call upon him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This language here, call upon him, that's the language of prayer. Only if there's a, a, a heartfelt dependence, trust, meaningful relationship can there be confidence that anyone is saved. Now notice a few little things here about this confession, what it involves, calling upon Jesus as Lord. The first is, verse 9, you've got to trust the facts. You've got to believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. You've got to believe the resurrection. The resurrection is... It's the vindication for everything Jesus did in his life and in his death. You, you can't become a Christian and, and ignore the history. You don't become a Christian as a leap of faith. I mean, there's the evidence you've got to wrestle with. You've got to believe the facts. You've got to, you've got to understand a little bit about them and believe them. Secondly, you've got to come to Jesus as Lord. Uh, not just Jesus as Savior, even, one who rescues me, but one as Lord, my life is different now. I used to live for, for myself and uh, my obsessions, uh, but now I live for him. He's my Lord now. M my life is different now if I become a Christian. I call upon him as Lord. And third little thing, look, there's no difference. This is the same for absolutely everyone. This is the way that anyone is saved. So Paul says there's no difference between the Jew and the Gentile, verse 12. There's no difference. That's the way everyone becomes a Christian, by calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
It's no difference with the Berber tribe of North Africa. No difference for the Fulani tribe in the Amazon. It's no difference for city dwellers in Tokyo. It's no different for the Digo tribe of Tanzania. No different for Londoners. You can't become a Christian unless you call upon the name of Jesus. It's impossible unless you know his name. Now, some would deny this. Uh, There's uh, an idea that um, hasn't become that popular, but it does the rounds a bit. The idea of anonymous Christians. Uh, It's made popular by initially a Roman Catholic theologian, Karl Rahner. There are others in in the sort of more evangelical wing. Guys, um, John Saunders, Clark Pinnock would advocate this. There's no pleasure in naming names, but you need to be aware of this. They would say that um, if you have genuine religious faith, it doesn't matter if you're a Buddhist, Muslim, Christian, Taoist, Confucianist, doesn't matter what you are. If you believe it sincerely, actually you're saved by Jesus Christ. You may not realize it. You may call him a different name, but truly you're saved by him. Nonsense. This idea that Jesus is, in one sense, a sort of master of disguise. You know, he pops up in Western Europe and um, in, uh, in Palestine originally, and he's sort of Jesus. But then when he goes to, I don't know, uh, uh, China, he may be Confucius, and um, he may go to Inda, India and, um, or southern India and be Buddhist, or he may be Guru Nanak. He, he puts on these different disguises in different places, and actually, at the end of time, it would be like the end of Scooby-Doo. You know, oh, actually, it was me all along. You thought you were trusting in Allah, but really it was me. That's nonsense. See how Paul just doesn't allow that at all. You must call upon the name of Jesus Christ. You have to believe in your heart that he's risen from the dead. You don't do that if you believe in these other gods. I had someone ask me this week, what about those in 16th century China? I mean, if they recognized that they were sinning against God and were sorry, but didn't know the name of Jesus, could they be saved? No. What about the Stans? Again, someone was telling me recently that, you know, they traveled through Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, Tajikistan. And at the border control, you get asked a question, are you Muslim or pagan? Those are the options. Can they be saved? unless they hear the name of Jesus. No. What about our sincere colleagues? Lovely, delightful people who we work with, some of them. Our friends. I mean, they're just kind people. Can they be saved? Not unless they call upon the name of Jesus. No. What about me? You might think. I mean, I'm sympathetic to the Christian faith. I even come along every now and again. Will that that do? No. You need to call upon the name of Jesus Christ. You need to rely upon him. You need to have him as your Lord. It's open to anyone. Everyone can call upon the name of the Lord. Whoever does so will be saved. But you must do that. 
Call upon the name of Jesus as Lord. Uh, Second implication, I guess it builds on this. Verses 14 and 15, people must hear the gospel. People must... I guess it's obvious, isn't it? People must hear the gospel. These are questions, four questions that Paul asks, 14 and 15. How then can they call upon the one they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they're sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You get the point of these questions. You can take them backwards. People have to be sent People have to preach, people have to believe what's preached, and they have to call upon him. It's got to happen for people to be saved. And this is, of course, what, this is what sent the Apostle Paul around the med, <laughs> telling people. This is what sends the people we've heard prayed for this evening, the guys working in France, the Nelsons who we prayed for on Thursday night. That's what's taken them there. That's what's taken our, our mission partners to Africa. They know this. They believe this. This is what the Lord Jesus came down from heaven for, because people had to hear. This is what's driven missionaries throughout history to go and tell people. I reread again most of this week a biography of Hudson Taylor, who, if you've never read anything of his, you should read something. He's a very inspiring man and inspiring story because of his faith in God. Um, but reading again that uh, here he was, uh, 19th century, going out age 21 to China. And um, you know, young man to go out there. But he went out and uh, his initial stint was for six years. In the course of those six years, he spent um, a few weeks with uh, one uh, Buddhist monastery or a collection of Buddhist monasteries of uh, very learned speakers, uh, learned men. They're not only Buddhist but studied Confucianism. He was there for a, a couple of weeks. And when one of the elders became a Christian... And Taylor was just delighted. You know, I'm just overwhelmed. You know, one of the leaders has become a Christian. Thrilling. I mean, that's what he's gone out there for, so that people would know. He was just overjoyed, you know, cock-a-hoop for, for a few days, until the man came to him and said, I have a question. Why did you not come sooner? And, you know, in Taylor's own words, he sort of stumbled around for a bit and said, well, I'm a young man, I... I, I couldn't have come any sooner than I did. I mean, I'm, I'm a young man. Okay. Your people, have they known this truth for a long time? Huh. Again, he stumbled and said, well, 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 yes. We've had this message for several centuries. The man's jaw dropped. He said, but my father was searching for this truth all his life. I also have been searching for this truth. You people have had it for centuries. Why did you not come sooner? And uh, Taylor writes in his biography, those words never left him. After his initial six years, he uh, came back to the UK and was recruiting. Uh, He was ill, so had to come back for a while and was recruiting to take others out with him. Back out to China, he wrote a number of pamphlets. And in one of them, he put this. Can it be true that all the Christians in England sit still with folded arms while these multitudes are perishing, perishing for lack of knowledge, for lack of that knowledge which England possesses so richly? That's a biting question, isn't it? 
Look at, and, I, and I feel it first myself. You know, do I sit back with arms folded sometimes and just forget? Not necessarily about China, but forget about my neighborhood. Sometimes I do. I need to hear this. I need to hear that challenge from that former Buddhist. I need to hear the challenge of Hudson Taylor. Why, why not? Why so long? What am I waiting for? Why does my heart not, as Paul's does in chapter 10, verse 2, why is he not, um, sorry, chapter 10, verse 1, why is it not my prayer, my heart's desire, that people would be saved? I guess sometimes I just forget. Forget what is true. That people are perishing for lack of knowledge. What are we going to do then? What are we going to do? Let me suggest a few things then so that people must hear the gospel. A few things. Uh, first, we must send people to the nations, and we do that. Of course we do that. So we send, again, whatever, on Thursday, praying for the Nelsons in Paris, sending them out to uh, a nation of uh, people who are deeply religious, all trying to achieve their salvation, which uh, in, is, in essence, of a, a traditional Roman Catholic faith, reaching up to God rather than accepting Jesus Christ, that they can't do it themselves. So we send them, and we pray for them, and we send money so they can be supported. Or the chards in Tanzania working amongst the Digo tribe. We say, yeah, we want to pray for them and support them. Of course we do. We send people out. Of course. We must send people to the nations. Uh, Secondly, we should go. Probably, presumably, amongst us here this evening... There are some who should go, who could go, who could go to the stands, perhaps, so that they don't just have the option of pagan or Muslim. Why not? What's stopping us? You've got to be determined. Of course, you've got to set your mind that you're going to do that. Age 18, I was going to go to North Africa and work, work amongst Muslims for all my life. For, for the rest of my life. I just, it was obvious. I became, became a Christian age 18, and there they were. You know, the North Africa, fewer Christian workers per head of population than anywhere in the world. That was the place I had to go. No, I didn't. I'm not saying what I'm doing now is bad or second best, but I, you've got to maintain a zeal. You've got to really believe it to want to go. Some will say I'm too old. I was inspired again this week reading about um, John Eliot. He was a 17th century minister in New England. At aged 40... He gave up his church, where he was a minister, and spent a year learning Algonquin so that he could spend the rest of his life going north and reaching the, um, the Indian, native Indian tribes in Algonquin. Translated the Bible, translated some other useful books. Died aged 84, 44 years of preaching in Algonquin. He started at age 40, so it may not be too late, even now. Some of us surely can go. We can go. Thirdly, for all of us, we can go to our friends and neighbours. I guess England doesn't quite possess so richly the knowledge which Hudson Taylor spoke about. It isn't perhaps so obvious a basic understanding of Christianity, if, if ever there was one. We need to tell our friends and neighbours. We need to perhaps think in terms of, I am sent We could do it tonight. We could send one another. Right, off we go. Because unless our friends and neighbours here, they can't be saved. So let's go. Let's send one another out. 
And the wonderful thing about being in a place like this is if we're hopeless at speaking to our friends, we just need to bring them here. <laughs> as, uh, as Jude was saying earlier, we can do that. Because unless they call upon the name of the Lord, they can't be saved. And how will they know? How will they call upon him unless they believe in him? How will they believe in him unless they hear the truth? Not a religious message of climbing up, but the truth. They won't do it unless we send ourselves and go. And that's beauty, verse 15. That's beautiful in God's eyes and in the eyes of those who become Christians. Now, it's snowing today, but um, in a month or so's time, I don't know, it'll start to get warm. And then half of us in the room will spend a lot of money on our feet. So half of us in this room will go out and do pedicures and paint and uh, do those things to make, you know, make our feet acceptable in sandals. I'm talking to the women. <laughs> if I'm not, I mean, come and see me afterwards. But um, look, that's, you know. I'm sure that's all very well and good, but I've got to tell you, no bloke ever looks at feet, so you're probably wasting your time. Um, But beautiful feet, they're, I don't know, calloused, bunioned, leathery, from walking around telling people the gospel. It's a metaphor that doesn't quite work now because we get in our cars and our tubes. But you know what he's saying? People who are committed to going and telling others. What's more beautiful than that? (laughs) Uh, Last couple of things, very briefly. Uh, Some will hear, but they'll remain obstinate. Verses 16 to 21. Some will hear, but they'll still remain obstinate. We're back to the main flow then of Paul's argument. Israel did hear, but they turned away. Verse 16. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. So question verse 18. Did they hear it, Israel? Yes, they did. Yes, they did. Of course they did. Uh, Their voice, the gospel message, has gone out into the whole world, so certainly Israel had heard it. So another question, verse 19. I ask again, did Israel not understand Well, yes, they understood the gospel message. I mean, the Old Testament, that's what these two quotes point out. The Old Testament had predicted that um, the gospel would come and and many many Israelites would turn away and that Gentile believers, those who are not Israelites, would become Christians. I mean, that had been predicted. So why, verse 21, why did Israel not trust in Jesus? And why do people not do so today? Verse 21, All day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Now, look, if you're not a Christian here tonight, you might take slight offense of that. Um, Maybe you're not obstinate. Maybe you just haven't heard the gospel. You might have just come here tonight for the first time. A bit hard to call you obstinate. I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Um, Now, if if you haven't yet heard the gospel message, understood it really, well, stick around. Just keep coming back and uh, you can do that. Come, come along to these uh, God confusion events. We'll, do, we'll go straightforward, very straightforward explanations there. But for some, you, you may have been waiting. I don't know what you're waiting for. You may understand the message of Jesus Christ, that you have to trust in him 
to receive forgiveness of sins, to receive righteousness, to have a relationship with God. You might understand that. I ask the question, are you being obstinate? Only you can answer that. I'm not, gonna, I'm not accusing, but you've got to ask that of yourself. Why is it then that more people aren't Christians? Well, again, chapter 9. Chapter 9, Paul's answer. God hasn't chosen everyone to become Christians. He only has mercy on some. Chapter 10. Because people refuse to receive as a gift forgiveness. They want to achieve it for themselves. The Bible insists both those things are true. And we've got to hold them together. Last thing. Because verse 21... God holds out his hands. We need to remember how God feels (laughs) and be like him. He says, all day long, I've held out my hands. It's it's an obvious picture, isn't it? He's just, he's there waiting. He's holding out his hands to stubborn and obstinate people. Sometimes I'll get in from work and uh, uh, say to my three-year-old, daddy's home, you've got a big hug for daddy. No! He's in a grumpy mood. And he says, you know, I mean, I hold the position for about a minute and then give up. I'm not the most patient. God is just there. He holds out his arms, he says. That is his attitude to a stubborn and obstinate people. He says to them, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's no difference. It's the same for you as for everyone else. And uh, I'll bless you richly, Verse 12. I mean, it's not as if I'm asking you to, to make enormous losses. I mean, there are sacrifices in becoming a Christian, but I will bless you richly. Will you come home? All day long, he holds out his arms. Hudson Taylor, again, when he was um, uh, back in England on one of his recruitment trips, uh, he was interviewing a number of candidates for the uh, mission field. And he said to them, can I ask you then why you want to go on a mission field? Uh, one replied, I want to go because Jesus Christ has commanded it. Matthew 28, we must go and make disciples. He said, yeah, that's very good, all true. What about you? He turns to another. I'm going because thousands are perishing and I must go and save them. Yeah, that is absolutely true, well done. He listened to a whole range of answers. And he said, all of those are great and you must keep them in your heart. But he said this to them. All these motives, however good, will fail you in times of testings, trials, tribulations, and possible death. There is but one motive that will sustain you in trial and testing. And that is the love of Christ. Look, if you're not, if you're a Christian, if if you're here tonight and not yet a Christian, do you understand that? That God is holding out his arms. He's saying, look, call upon me. Will you call upon me? And you can be saved. I can richly bless you. For those of us who are Christians, it's that that must motivate us as well. Knowing the love of God for ourselves, that'll that'll keep taking us to our friends, our neighbours, our colleagues. Knowing that even when they say no, you know, I'm I'm confident in who I am in Christ. I'm confident that my Father still loves me. Knowing who he is, knowing how he thinks of us, we'll keep going back no matter how many times we're rebuffed. 
because people will be obstinate. You've you just got to expect that. Don't be deluded. People will say no. People will be stubborn. But we keep going back because we know the God of whom we're speaking. And he's a God who desires all people. Everyone can call upon his name and be saved. Let's pray together. Our Father God, we ask your forgiveness that we don't care more about the fact that many that who we know and love don't know you. Father, we ask that you'd help us uh, trust your word and hold together the fact that uh, we, you tell us here in chapter 9 that you have mercy on whom you have mercy. And here in chapter 10, you tell us that people refuse you because you're obstinate and you hold out your arms to them all day long. Would we be able to hold those two things together? And Father, will you send us out? Will you send us out to preach this, knowing that there's no other way that people can be saved? They must call upon the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you for him and pray that even we would see many more come to call upon his name. Amen.